and live. Good evening, everybody. I'm Fabrizio Sumson from the Spiritist Society of Warmoth. I'm very pleased to join once again with Florence Saville from Poo Christian Spiritualist Church for tonight's online broadcast. This is one of many events with our two groups that are hosted in fraternal collaboration together. It's a great pleasure to send a very warm welcome to our guest speaker, Dr. Susanna Simões, who is joining us live tonight from the United States. Susanna, it's an honor to have you here with us. Thank you, thank you for having me. So first, let me brief, briefly uh, about the Spiritist Society of Bournemouth. We study the Christian principle of spiritism as revealed by the spirits to the French writer Alain Kardec. This spiritist teaching not only tells us that everyone's spirit is immortal, they also show how each of us can grow spiritually. In our group, we study several times a week. We are an open group. Anybody can join us. Until the current lockdown, we had our meeting in Bournemouth, but at present, during lockdown, we study online. If you'd like to know further information, please message me on, my, on our Facebook page. For everyone watching, um, let me say a few words of introduction about Dr. Susanna Simoins. Susanna is a prominent worker in the Spiritist movement. She has worked as a member of the Spiritist Federation of Florida, the United States Spiritist Federation, and is one of the founders of the Conscience Living Spiritist Group in Miami. Susanna is a doctor of physical therapy and professor at Nova Southwestern Univer Univers University in Florida. Her talk tonight is called Inner Transformation, a Spiritual and Psychological Understanding. Before I hand over to Dr. Susanna, let us go first to Lawrence Saville, who will lead us in our opening prayer. Thank you, Fabricio. Good evening to you all. So we'd just like to still your minds just for this short time. Link in with that God of your own understanding and ask and send out those thoughts for assistance, upliftment, for understanding, for knowing where we are on our life's journey, be it this side or the other side of life, but recognising that life is continuous. There is no one part or the other, just the unbroken thread of continuity. And we're all here at this time, to take up the challenges presented to us and to overcome them and uplift those ones around us too and to bring about a peace and understanding that this world has never known before. And we ask for all these things in and through the name of great divine love. Amen. Thank you. So, um, so welcome, Susanna, and I hand it over to you. Okay, thank you, Fabricio. Thank you, Lawrence. Thank you for having me here. Um, we are going to uh, start bringing our presentation up. And it's uh, we were just talking before we started our um, our live uh, transmission about the uniqueness of this time, a time where um, 
we are so incredibly um, isolated, separated, distanced from one another, facing limits, uh, limitations, facing challenges. And yet we have a, a new window of opportunities such as this one, where I can be here sitting in my house in Miami and speaking to all of you. So if you're in the UK, uh, Europe, good evening. If you're elsewhere in the world, good afternoon, good morning, whatever that might be, it's a pleasure to be with you. And our presentation today, uh, it is, as was mentioned, about inner transformation. Let's put it up. Um, a psychological and a spiritual understanding. I would like to highlight, although Fabricio introduced me as a physical therapist, that I am a physical therapist. I'm not a psychologist. So um, if there are any psychologists uh, out there listening to this and you find something to be perhaps um, slightly inaccurate, you might be uh, correct. I'll be more than open to hear your take on what I'm presenting, but it is something that I am very fascinated. These uh, bridge, this crossover between uh, spirituality and psychology, and therefore I have spent some uh, time studying and trying to uh, understand it. If we are together today, we are here likely because we have come to an understanding that the world as it is, the material realm is insufficient or perhaps um, incapable of providing us with what I believe the majority of us is looking for, which is um, happiness. But today I would like to introduce you a, a, a different proposal as far as the goal of our lives and perhaps what we should be pursuing. And this new paradigm is one that has been introduced and um, it's available in many psychological studies, in books, and I chose one of them that I like very much and I recommend if you're interested in learning a little bit about uh, happiness, which is a book called The Upside of Your Dark Side. And in the introduction of this book, we have, um, before the introduction of this book, um, before getting into it, let me just bring you this quote by Jung. I do not aspire to be a good man. I aspire to be a whole man. And we will um, discuss that into the content that I will be bringing forward. But in the introduction of the book, the psychologists who are the authors of this book, they, they write to us. We are putting forward a new way to pursue what is desirable in life. It is not happiness exactly although it does have the side effect of bringing happiness. It is wholeness. So our intent with our presentation today is to establish this connection between happiness and wholeness. What does wholeness means and how is happiness related to uh, wholeness? So the authors in the book, they will give us a description of wholeness and they will say that the human experience calls for the integration and value of all human emotions. That all emotions are useful and they need to be looked at. They have a function, a purpose. They need to be um, acknowledged and uh, integrated. So 
they say that the person who is actually able to navigate all these emotional states without turning away, without denying them, is actually more likely to experience a perennial type of joy. Science also shows that people who are comfortable embracing what is called the negative and positive states are considered to be the healthiest ones. So when we look at the Gospel of John, we will see um, on John 8, 32, uh, the statement, know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we have taken this um, statement and I think as humanity uh, and Christians, and we have taken this and we have gone outside of ourselves in the search of the truth. We have gone really far away um, outside in the, into different galaxies. We have gone very far away into the microscopic world and we continue to go outwards in one direction or another, seeking to find the truth. There is a, a little story that I heard very recently about a guy who was um, seeking to learn as much as he could in a given uh, lifetime. He was um, committed to find the truth and to understand as much as possible about life. He was in Europe and he had a master who told him that in order to do that, he needed to look out, keep his eyes open and look outwards. And he thought about that for a good while. And he, after a while, he said, this makes sense because, you know, if I keep my eyes open, I'll see everything that there is to see. And I will, um, you know, see as far as I can and as further as I can. So he remembers this young boy sitting and looking out of the window. What is out there? And this is what we do when we are young. And when we say, when I say young, I'm saying either young in this lifetime or young as a mortal spirit and being that we are. We believe that the truth is out there somewhere and that we need to keep our eyes open and find it. But that same man later on in his life, he was in a very different moment of his life. He was uh, in his 50s which is where I am right now. And he was also in a very different path and he had a different master to whom he asked the very same question. And the master told him that in order to find the truth and in order to learn as much as he could about life, he needed to close his eyes very tight. And although these two answers seem to be contradictory, they do speak to the ways in which we evolve. At first, when we are young, when we are um, more unconscious, we believe the truth to be outside. But then as we mature, as we evolve, as we grow up, we come to realize that what we see out there, the reality outside, it is a reflection of our inner world. So as we grow older, we tend to realize that the way is not out, the way is in. So here we are looking inwards. And Jung will tell us that looking outwards has got to be turned into looking into oneself. Discovering yourself provides you with all you are 
were meant to be, and now you were leaving from and for. So we tend, as I have said, to spend the first half of our life devoted to forming our healthy ego. And by that, I mean, we are building our personas. We are growing up, we are going to university, we're choosing a career, we are defining, you know, what our gender is going to be, we are determining whether we're going to be married or single, we come up with our profession. In other words, we create, we manifest our personal and our relationship is very much with the exterior. The second part of our lives is when we realize again that you know, none of that, or at least we should realize that it would be helpful to realize that none of that really defines who we are and that, you know, we spend the second uh, phase of our lives um, giving priority to uh, what is within and really seeking to get in touch and understand who we are in, um, in essence. So this is what Jung says here. The first half of life is devoted to forming a healthy ego, and the second half is going inwards and letting go of it, actually letting go of the ego and moving towards our own um, essence. Now, these ideas that I'm talking about, they are not new ideas. They are not COVID ideas, right? Ideas that came up just now in face of this pandemic. They have been with us for almost 3,000 years right now. So we can go as far back as the uh, Delphic Maxims, 700 more or less before Christ, where it is uh, written, know thyself and you shall know all the mysteries of the gods and of the universe. Later on, we have this, he's gonna live by this philosophy and he's going to say, my friend, care for your psyche. Know thyself, for once we know ourselves, we may learn how to care for ourselves. And then, you know, in the 1800s, then we have Christ who invites us to know the truth. And then, you know, in the 1800s, we're going to have Kardec asking the spirits about, I find this uh, particular question of the spirits book very interesting because Kardec here is going to ask the spirits what is the most effective means for improving ourselves in this life and resisting the draw of evil. And what is very interesting about this question and the answer, which is a sage of antiquity has told you, know thyself, is that so many things could be the answer for this question. Um, perhaps the spirits could have told him, you know, in order, the most effective means for improving yourself is studying, is knowing, or it is praying, right? But no, the most effective from all means to improve ourselves and to resist the evil and the darkness is self-knowledge. So a little later on, late in the 1800s, in the early 1900s, we're going to have Jung again say, do not seek the truth outside, for it resides within. So this invitation, the universe has been inviting us to move inwards for quite a while. And we have resisted this movement for some 
obvious or not so obvious reasons, moving inwards is extremely uncomfortable, and we'll see that. And it is so much easier just to look outwards and to pretend that the problems are all outside of us. They belong to others. Others are the problems. We are, in general, the solution. So we have resisted the idea, but the invitation has been over there. And I believe the crisis that we live today is a result, is a reflection of this uh, resistance to go inwards. And now the universe is, in a way, forcing us to stop a little bit, take a pause, and hopefully take advantage of this moment to look inwards. Moving forward, let me just, uh, since we're gonna go inwards, let me talk briefly about uh, the understanding of uh, the, the being from the spiritual perspective. So we have the physical body, we have the soul or the spirit. We uh, use the word soul for the spirit that is incarnated in a physical body. And in between, we have what in spiritism we call pure spirit, but it's also known as the astral body. So the organic body is going to be the one where our persona will be manifesting in the present moment. The spirit is our essence, is immaterial, and connecting these two realities, we have the pure spirit, which is a semi-material body, is an energetic body, and it is where all our experiences, everything that we learn, and as well all our mistakes and our needs uh, are archived. So for the ones who believe in reincarnation, as we move from one life to another, we carry with ourselves, right? Uh, this body of knowledge, as well as this body of spiritual needs that will manifest and will attract to us the experiences and the people who are going to um, promote our spiritual growth. When we think about it from a psychological um, stance, we have um, the ego, which is our uh, consciousness, we have the subconscious, and we have the superconscious or the higher self, the soul, or what we would be called the spirit. Even in the physical brain, we have representations for these uh, psychic realities. So we have areas of the brain where consciousness is expressed. And as we can see in the slide, we are talking about 10% of our reality is a conscious reality. And we have uh, the other 90% of our reality in our subconscious, which has its uh, representation on the physical brain and our unconscious that is also known as the primitive brain and is um, represented on the lower parts of our, uh, our brain. What is really uh, in important and interesting to understand is I think this slide here. So the light blue, is our incarnation. So it's the, the, the real, the material world, and the, the darker blue represents the being, the, the different levels of the being. So when we think about the spirit, we're thinking about the commander and chief. We're thinking about the organizing principle. It's our essence. 
when we think about the ego, we're thinking about our transitory ID, is how we identify in the present moment. And the ego can be uh, thought as the psychic instance that manifests our persona in the present moment, but can also be thought from the uh, immortal and reincarnation perspective as an identity that has been built not only throughout the years that we are incarnated, but also throughout the many lives that we have had. And the persona is the manifestation of the ego in the present moment <clears throat> in this uh, lifetime. So for instance, I may identify as a woman, as a physical therapist, as a mother. These are all transitory identifications because they speak to the persona who I am in the present moment, but they don't speak necessarily to the essence of who I am. Another important function of the ego that I put it over there is the ego is the doorman of the being. What does that mean? It means that the ego, he stands out there at the door of the being looking outwards. So primarily what the ego does is he sees the outside world, which is the conscious world, which is that 10% that we were talking about. And from time to time, he might look in the building. He might look into the direction of the spirit or the unconscious. And when the ego does that, he becomes the bridge to bring some of the content that lies into our unconscious to consciousness. So he is the doorman, he is the bridge, he is the entity that needs to be open in order to look in or look down or look back and allow for the content from the uh, unconscious to be acknowledged, to be known. This is very didactic. I hope it's not confusing. I'm trying to be as clear as possible, but we will answer questions afterwards if this has become very confusing to you. Um, I put here a little summary. So the ego is the psychic entity developed in the course of incarnations or, or in the course of one life. It's the basic element for the conscious survival of the being. He's managing our existences. Everything that becomes conscious passes to the ego. So from unconsciousness to consciousness. And it is rooted within the psychic realm and manifests itself in the personality where it has its field of experiences and growth. Okay, so what happens during our material life when we are incarnated in this physical body, having our physical experience? We are, um, for most part, disconnected from the essence of who we are. So the dot, dotted lines that you see, they represent this uh, disconnection. Um, Although we are immortalists, although we are spiritualists, our ways of living, our behaviors, our thoughts and feelings is still a much more in line with a material perspective than with a immortalist perspective. And in my understanding, that comes from our spiritual unconsciousness, our spiritual immaturity, and our disconnection from God, both within and outside. 
And so because we are disconnected, this disconnection creates a number of illusions. The ego, when it's disconnected from the self, disconnected from this organizing principle, he assumes that he is the boss, that he's actually the one in charge. And because the disconnection creates in the ego a very, very deep feeling of scarcity and a feeling of inadequacy, the ego disconnected from the self, disconnected from the God, will seek to find its worth and its value in the outside world, into the material world, making things like titles, status, religious positions, and wealth, um, uh, making these uh, uh, positions as positions that actually speak to its worth and its value. So there is a, a, an incredible uh, disconnection and this slide is meant to represent uh, the, the, the overinflation of the ego and the disconnection that happens between the ego and the spirit. When we think in Christian terms, we can think that this happens every time that we turn away from the father and move far, far away like the prodigal son did uh, uh, in a very egoic movement of disconnection. This is us in the present uh, moment. So the ego is this uh, little entity uh, that looks outwards, as we have said, and those two images uh, represent well the relationship of the ego with the, the entire being. So when we think about the ego, we are thinking about this iceberg and we are thinking about this little red face that I have there in the tip of the iceberg. So the ego sees, sees the tip of the iceberg and believes that the tip of the iceberg is all there is, unconscious of all the, the, the body that lies underneath of the water. But perhaps an even more clear picture of, uh, of uh, the being and this um, analogy of what's conscious and unconscious is the idea of the ocean. And I have highlighted here in a little circle, I don't even know if you can make it what that is, but that is a cork. So the idea is that the cork is the consciousness, is what the ego sees and believes to be the ultimate truth. But the cork is just that, it's just a cork uh, floating in this vast, infinite and, 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 and immense ocean, which is the subconscious and the unconscious, which are the driving forces behind our behaviors, our thoughts and our feelings. So Joana de Angelis, who is an author who studies Jung and makes in spiritism this bridge between spirituality and psychology. She tells us that the ego only thinks of itself. It does not comprehend the immensity of the unconscious, which is its totality. So when we think about um, the unconscious and the subconscious, what we find underneath the water, right? or within the ocean are uh, a sum of our traumas, of our pains, of our wounds, as well 
as our potentialities and as our uh, achievements. Now, the unconscious has a purpose, has a reason, like everything that God does has a purpose and a higher reason. So Joana de Angelis, again, in a book called Existential Conflicts, she is going to um, explain to us that although emotions are generated by the self, the physical body expresses them. Successive disturbing emotional charges overwhelm the nerves. The nerves inevitably transfer the emotional content that cannot be processed or that is unacceptable to the archives of the unconscious. So what she's saying, in other words, is there is a number of things, a number of emotions, a number of feelings and experiences that is too much. It's just too much for our nervous system to bear, to process. And therefore, this material, this content is put into the unconscious until we have enough inner resources to deal with that, to address it and to transcend it. So it is a way in which God has protected us from ourselves, I would say, in its incredible mercy, giving us time and giving us uh, opportunities to build our inner capacity to deal with some of these um, important contents that need to be addressed and wounds that need to be healed at the right time. When Jesus says, love your enemies, then uh, we can think about that as within the context. I would like to think about that within the context that we are talking. Uh, us people who are, I don't know if there's anyone who is really young listening to me right now, but uh, today the newer generation is becoming mature earlier than um, perhaps the older generation. But uh, for the ones who have entered a more mature phase of their lives, we're going to take all Christ's same uh, statements and we're going to make it into bridges to the world within. So when we are talking about love your enemies, right? We, we used to listen to that and to think about, okay, I need to make peace with my brother. I need to, um, you know, make peace with that person who I'm, I'm having a difficult relationship uh, today. But what we are going to look at is the enemy that lives within. And Jung is gonna help us to look at that as well. He's going to say, the acceptance of oneself is the essence of the whole moral problem and the epitome of a whole outlook on life. That I feed the hungry, that I forgive and insult, that I love my enemy in the name of Christ, all these are undoubtedly great virtues. What I do unto the least of my brethren, that I do unto Christ. But what if I should discover that the least among them all, the poorest of all the beggars, the most imprudent of all the offenders, the very enemy himself, that these are within me and that I myself stand in need of the arms of my own kindness, that I myself am the enemy who must be loved. What then? As a rule, the Christian's attitude is then reversed. There is no longer any question of love or long suffering. We say to the brother within us, Raka and condemn and rage against ourselves. We hide it from the world 
we refuse to admit ever having met this least among the lowly in ourselves. I don't know uh, what you think about this, but I find this incredibly strong and quite disturbing that, you know, we, when we move outwards, we, <clears throat> we, we seek to be more compassionate, but when we realize that perhaps the enemy is not out there, it is actually living within us, that we tend to do something very unloving. And this unloving movement is to deny and to disavow the very parts of ourselves. So we have a difficult time accepting and loving the human in us. The ego lives for perfection. In, in ways religions have not helped us a, ho a whole lot, when we seek to be perfect um, yesterday, not respecting our natural, normal, spiritual, emotional development. And we're gonna talk about that. So the ego that is already in this place of scarcity and in this place of um, inadequacy and essentially feeling very low and diminished he does not want to deal with our own humanity. He much rather um, inflates itself and it does so with feelings like anger, like pride, um, and many others that in Christianity are known and recognized as our uh, vices. So the bottom line is that the human in us makes us feel ashamed and, and pain and we dislike these parts of ourselves that are there. There are the human in us, a part of our natural evolution. So Joana de Angelis in this book, The Conscious Being, she will say that the ego resists the acceptance of the deep reality. And for this reason, it develops different ways to escape. Now, I spoke about a few of these ways. Uh, to escape, uh, but one of them and most well-known is what we call psychological uh, projection. So psychological projection has been defined by Freud as a defense mechanism in which the human ego defends itself against unconscious impulses or qualities, both positive and negative, by denying their existence in themselves while attributing them to others. And Joana de Angelis, in the book Conscious Being, says there is a natural and morbid tendency of human beings to ignore certain limitations and to project them onto others. Every time a person fights vehemently the character traits of someone else, this person is projecting himself onto other. He is transferring outwards what the ego does not want to recognize as a limitation, a dark area that belongs to himself. It turns its victim into the mirror that unconsciously reflects itself. So we, we project onto others the enemy, the parts that we dislike into ourselves. And sometimes we do so to extremes. Sometimes this dislike is more than a dislike. It is we despise the human in us. We hate certain parts of ourselves. 
and with the strength of the hate and the violence that we commit to ourselves, we commit to others, we project unto others, and we will end up killing. And this uh, feeling taken to an extreme will end up in tragedies, as we have known with uh, the face and the names of Matthew Shepard in the United States, the gay man that was killed, or George Floyd uh, more recently. So as long as we remain indifferent and in denial of our uh, humanity, we will uh, remain disconnected from our uh, unconscious. And the unconscious, all these nuances of our personality will continue to drive our lives. This is the thing. Whether we look at it or not, whether we embrace it or not, whether we love it and integrate that or not, this will continue to influence our lives and our behaviors as a force that is unknown to us. So when Paul of Tarsus in letter to Romans, he wrote, for I do not do the good I want to, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin in me that does it. What is it that he's talking about, if not everything that I have just said? In other words, he wants to do something good, but he doesn't do the good that he wants. Sin in him does what he wants. And what is sin, if not this unknown content, this content that we neglect to look at, and that continues to drive our lives, to drive our actions. And so often we hear people that say, I keep marrying men with the same characteristic. I keep having the same type of relationships in my life and I cannot, I, I seem unable to change the, the, the type of relationship. Why is that? Why is that? Because they are, and there is a world of, uh, of wounds, of trauma, of pain, and of darkness that is actually driving your interactions and your behaviors, and that it will only be transformed and transcended and changed the day that we decide to, as a cork, put our face inside the water and look to see what lies within. With that, and let me just take a quick look at the time. All right, let's see if I can finish here in 10 minutes. Um, let's talk about what inner transformation will look like, right? So inner transformation from this spiritual perspective calls for self-love, calls for willingness. One needs to be willing to experience discomfort and pain. A lot of times people will say, I'm working very hard on my inner transformation. And how do you feel? Happy? Well, then you can be a little suspicious because if you are working with your inner transformation and not experience some moments of incredible discomfort, it is probably likely that you're not quite there. And so you need to look a little further into what you're doing. But the willingness will help us to get there a little faster. We need to seek awareness and i have in pink because i think that acceptance is a very key word in this process and it is acceptance that will actually lead to inner transformation 
we'll talk about it. And after acceptance, we need to be curious about our inner world and then direct it in the way that it needs to be directed. So Jung says, my life is the story of the self-realization of the unconscious. Everything in the unconscious seeks outwards manifestation in the personality to desires to evolve out of its unconscious conditions to experience itself as a whole. So here we go back to the concept of wholeness that we were talking in the very beginning. And the fact that the unconscious wants to manifest itself. The unconscious is desires to make itself known. So it is speaking to us. If the unconscious is speaking to us and it's manifesting itself, what is it that we need to do, right? So Jung will continue by telling us, it is a most painful procedure to tear off the veils. But each step forward in a psychological development means just that, the tearing off of a new veil. We are like onions with many skins and we have to peel ourselves again and again in order to get to the real core. So the unconscious is speaking to us. We know that there are many layers that need to be peeled. The biggest challenge, Joanna Giannis will tell us, of human existence is to explore this unknown universe, withdrawing from it the potentials that will bring happiness and self-realization. So we won't be able to be happy or even to listen. We can only transform what we know to be transformed. So if we're in denial of our own humanity, we can't transform. We can't transform what's not into our awareness. Now, it is our biggest challenge. It is the very purpose of our existence is to do this inner work. When Jesus said in Matthew 22, love your neighbor as yourself, he was explaining to us that in order to improve our relationships outwards, it's necessary that we improve our relationship with our own selves. And this is all that this uh, um, content is truly about. And then he goes on and tells us, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way. So although we believe in a future life and we strive to be happy in the future life, we also know that it is possible to be relatively happy here and today. I'm married and my wife, she is not a spiritist. And when she was introduced to spiritism, she said to me, I'm not interested in this future life that you guys talk about. You tell me what do I do to be happier right now in the present moment. Therefore, uh, settling the matters with our adversary within is something that can provide us today, now, a better, a lighter, a more satisfied uh, life. And this whole process is not about going against our imperfections, the inner shadow. It's about identifying it, becoming aware of it, and considering it part of our life. So this is the first, first step when we are talking about inner transformation, right? So we're not going to turn against ourselves. We're not going to judge ourselves. All of that does not help us. We are going to identify we are going to become aware and we're going to start to work on 
the acceptance that this is part of our humanity. Actually, God wanted to be this way because God, who is all powerful, if God wanted to first to be ready from the get go, completely form, uh, he would, God would have done that way. But God did not want it to be this way. God wanted us to build ourselves uh, little by little through the course of uh, eternity. So how do we get there? We watch and pray, as Jesus says, right? But what we need to do is stop watching, analyzing the speck in someone else's eyes, right? And realize the plank that we have in our own eyes. Again, a shift from the position of looking outwards to looking inwards, from the position of victimization to one that takes responsibility for our own actions and our own uh, uh, mistakes. And people often, often ask me, but okay, you guys talk a lot about inner transformation, but how do I become aware of my unconscious, right? The most powerful way to do so in order to transform ourselves is relationships. Relationships, that's why we live in a society and the law of society is a divine law. No one can achieve enlightenment alone. We need relationships. And so from within, as we relate to one another, we need to pay attention to our emotions. Our emotions are messengers. Emotions are the messengers of the soul. So when we have, um, if you, it's interesting because sometimes someone who is very calm has an anger attack like this lady over there. And the person is going to say, <clears throat> oh my God, I was out of myself. And one could argue that no, you were out of yourself. You were finally within yourself. Get in touch with content that probably is suppressed, that probably is unknown to you. And because it's unknown, when there is a little window, it emerges in this violent and hostile way and you're surprised, and because you don't recognize as yours, you say, that person, I was out of myself that day. Let's start to thinking that perhaps you weren't out of yourself. You were finally, finally within yourself. There is a, a poem from Romy that I absolutely love uh, that's called The Guest House. <coughs> Excuse me for a second. <clears throat> <clears throat> where he's going to talk about uh, our feelings, our emotions. Oh, forgive me. <clears throat> I apologize. Because of the time, I'm going to skip it. But it's called The Guest House, and please look for it. It talks about <clears throat> our emotions being messengers of the soul. And there is this uh, cute cartoon that says, count yourself lucky, he used to shoot the messenger. So we tend to do that with our emotions, don't we? The emotions come up and they are quite often uncomfortable emotions to feel. <clears throat> so what do we do with these emotions? We numb them. We work excessively. We do excessive charity work. We eat excessively. We work out excessively. We do anything possible not to feel. And when we don't feel, 
we kill the messengers and we kill the opportunity to tap into ourselves and to learn a little bit more about ourselves. Another way that we can tap into this inner world, this underground world of our souls, is comes from outside in relationships when, for example, someone criticizes us. So when the ego is open, when the ego is available as a doorman, when the ego is willing to learn, criticism will create to the ego, to the person's self-doubt. And self-doubt is the open door for self-discovery. Let me explain that um, uh, a little bit more. So when someone says to you, you are very arrogant. <clears throat> so if you are in a very defensive position, you will say to yourself, this person is completely off. But if you are in the position of the doorman with a little bit of humility and seeking to become aware, you become curious about that criticism. You open to meaning that you're not taking the criticism as the absolutely true, but you are intrigued by what the, the, the person is telling you. So what's next in the process is acceptance. So once you look into yourself, whether it's through criticism, and I'm going to go back to the curiosity factor, or it is through uh, being touched with emotions, the most powerful moment in the process of inner transformation comes from acceptance. Acceptance, and this is another book that I absolutely love, is a door to transformation. So sometimes people say, but that's all I need to do is to accept. And I would say that's a lot to do, right? And so acceptance is not a passive stance. Acceptance is actually action. It's a step forward. Realize that what lies in the unconscious is the material that the ego have not been able to face and to bear. This content goes against the ideal image and belief the ego has about itself. Being able to bring content from the unconscious to the consciousness and being able to bear this new reality in itself is a major and significant step in the process. So once we get in touch with the human in us, you know, the, the, the uh, corrupted being that lives within us, the violent being that lives within us, whatever that might be, the very key factor for our inner transformation is to accept, is to make peace, is to embrace that this is where we are. This is not who we are, but this is where we are in our uh, evolution. So acceptance is recognition at an emotional level. So it's more than to say, okay, I know I'm a very proud person. In my case, I like to say, I know I'm a very rigid person. And that does not mean that I have accepted, accepted this reality if deep inside I don't feel this reality. If when I say that I have at some level within me a feeling of discomfort or perhaps even uh, a little bit of pain. So it's an emotional experience, more often than not, of discomfort and some pain. But it does not call for a fight. It calls for love, compassion, patience, trust, and humility. And if we can embrace and accept, truly, truly accept the human in us, we will be much more prone to accept the human in others. 
Now, acceptance is truly acceptance. Sometimes we say, I accept my husband, my wife, the way they are. And yet, in our actions, in our daily actions, we are doing everything that we can to change them. That means that we have not accepted them. Accepted does not seek to change, does not seek to transform. It just sits with what it is. So we cannot get rid of the parts of ourselves that we don't like. And I really like this idea. When the court looks inside and finds in there a delinquent or a corrupted individual, what does the court do with this individual? Throw him away? Throw him outside? There is no outside. There is only ocean. So we cannot kill an energy. We cannot eliminate the energy. It's imperative that we do what? That we deal with the energy. That we find a place for the energy and that gives the energy the right direction. This is what happened with Saul of Tarsus. He didn't get rid of his energy of assertiveness or even uh, anger. He just directed the energy in the right path, in the right direction. You cannot eliminate that. There is no outside to throw the human in us. So there is no inner transformation without self-discovery and acceptance. When Jesus said, let your light shine, right? We should not take that statement as uh, recipes of behavior that are imposed from the outside in. On the contrary, our light will shine. This is gonna be the outcome of our journey inwards, a journey of acceptance and of love. So on the enlightenment process, we have two pathways that we can choose. A vicious cycle where I continue to deny who I am, and I put here an example. I continue to be unaware of how proud I am of my pride. I continue to try to be good as opposed to be whole. In other words, I put out some good shows, some good behaviors, sometimes really, really believing that this is me transformed. But I continue to uh, be in a position of powerlessness and victimization. And whenever my behavior does not go in accordance to what I believe I should be or where I believe I should uh, doing what I be doing, creates guilt and conflict. That means that I am in a position the ego is close to anything else. It believes to have the whole truth about who he is. It lives in, a, in, a, in a, a paradigm where it's always defending itself and is full of affirmations and certainty. And it is constantly repressing the contents of the unconscious and therefore remains in stagnation. Now, the virtual cycle is a cycle where I have been proud my whole life and now I am aware. I am aware that pride is part of uh, where I am. I embrace that part of myself, meaning I am now responsible and therefore I have power because I know what I'm dealing with and I'll have the power to manage my behaviors and my actions. So I am in peace. I reconcile with the enemy within me. I am open when people say I don't become defensive, I become curious and I will engage in the process by asking questions about the possibilities and about the realm of my own humanity. 
in this position, this mindset is truly what's going to lead to self-discovery and transformation. So bear with me, I'm almost done. So here's some of the questions that we can ask ourselves when we are open and curious about a manifestation of the human in us. So taking proud as an example, in which moments am I proud? If someone says, you're so arrogant, you're so proud, in which moments am I proud? When? When do I react with pride? How does pride manifest in my life and in my relationships? What is the meaning of pride in my life? And what is the intention driving my pride? So you see, now we are opening, we are curious, we are uh, uh, in doubt, we are not so certain about, you know, who we are in these open spaces for uh, spiritual growth and for uh, maturity. So what else can we do about that? Once we accept, we once we ask uh, the questions, right? It's time to relate differently with ourselves and with others. So if we are in a relationship and someone calls us selfish, instead of denying our own selfishness, if we are open, if we are aware that we truly are selfish, right? We are going to say to the person, you know what? I'm really sorry that I hurt you. I have been aware of my selfishness. And believe me, I am truly, truly struggling and trying my best each day not to be selfish. In fact, I have been committed to understand why I act these ways. What is behind me that makes me behave this way? So please forgive me. Forgive me my humanity because I am truly committed to doing better. And the next day, if you are selfish with your spouse, you will go buy some flowers and give some flowers to him and to her. Not because you were transformed, not because you are now good, but because you know you are selfish and you know that you have to manage your relationships and you know that you have to treat lovingly and well the people who are important in your life. So now you are doing things not from a position of unawareness, but a position of full awareness and reconciliation with your own humanity. As you come to this place, you will be much more in peace and much more prepared to embrace others as well. So I'll close with this slide. When Jesus said to be perfect, therefore, as our heavenly father is perfect, just bear in mind that this is the goal. A two-year, uh, uh, eight-year-old kid in second grade who writes and the handwriting is, you know, not pretty. That handwriting means perfection for that eight-year-old in that moment of their life. Does it mean that he will write that way for the rest of their existence? Absolutely not. It will get better. But for that level of awareness, that handwriting is absolutely perfect. So be perfect is the out, final outcome of the journey. Understanding that perfection does not belong to the present moment, but is a gradual and slow construction, lifts a tremendous amount of weight from one's shoulders. We become able to drop the armor and to walk more lightly and more resolved in the direction of gradual transformation, one that respects and honors each person's own time. 
So with that, I close my uh, presentation, hoping that it made sense to all of you and really um, trying to highlight that, you know, again, there is no inner transformation without self-acceptance in the day that we learn to love ourselves and to embrace the human in us the way we are with more emotional honesty, we'll be able to relate and to transform the world outside of ourselves as well. My apologies for going over time. You have nothing to apologize for. That was uh, riveting, absolutely. And you, you can just equate it to little things within our own lives and go, do you know what, that makes sense. That really, I've, I feel like I've just had half an hour on a psychiatrist's shelf. It's been great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's interesting that you say that, Lawrence, because I was feeling exactly the same. I was listening to what she was saying. I was identifying myself. So, oh, I, actually, I do this. I do that. I escape from that responsibility. Yeah. I push that away. I don't want to know this. And it's so yeah. interesting because it's helped us to bring our awareness to what we actually sometimes just push them off and hide on our unconscious because you're not prepared to deal with those issues or those pain that those issues bring with. That's really good, really good, Suzanne. Yes, um, we have to do that. We have to do that gently because like I mentioned before, the, the unconscious has its place and has its reason. So it's not like we're going to, you know, open the doors and just walk into it. Uh, but, you know, we should seek to do it uh, decisively and gently. Each person in, you know, his or her own time according to what we can bear at uh, any given moment, right? Respecting also our, our time. There is a time for everything in the universe. There is a time for each one of us and each person has their own pace, their own uh, resources. So sometimes we are a little cruel when we say, you know, how can this person not see what it's so obvious about him or herself? Well, I'm sure there's a lot of things about myself that I also don't see that might be obvious to others, but it might be so painful to face that, that we need our own time, right? So, yeah. Great. So I have got a few questions that is popping up sure. on Facebook. Um, the first question I have here is from Tim. He says, um, I have looked within myself and still do not, still do I believe I'm, I'm made up of all parts of polarities. Mm -hmm. We do as humans deny parts of ourselves do it being too uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Where does Susanna think the ID belongs in all of this? Where, what was the last sentence? Uh, where does Susanna think the ID belongs in all this? I did. I did. talking about the id. The id. The id. Oh, the yeah. id. Where does the id belongs in all of this? Um, by E, does I'm not sure if he means the 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 self, Lawrence. Uh, I'm just quickly uh, good old Google. He say I I D. 
The id is the personality component made up of unconscious psychic energy that works to satisfy basic urges, needs and desires. The id operates based on the pleasure principle which demands immediate gratification of needs. Right, so we... <laughs> So let me let me try to let, yeah let me try to um, uh, to to answer and if I I don't um, you know we can take this um, we can uh, please make sure that my um, uh, Facebook I can be reached in different ways we can I would love to continue the the conversation but um, so we have we have as I mentioned before we have the self right which is our true true uh, essence. So when I think of the spirit, I think of uh, all, you know, when when we think about who we are truly and in essence, right, we are none of these things that we see. We are the sum of our uh, emotional experiences. We are the sum of our intellectual experiences. This is our true treasure. Um, then we have uh, our persona, and we have our um, identity uh, in the world, which is, again, going back to the ego, it is usually what we are able to see it. The thing about, you know, identity and desires and integration and getting to know is that it's a process. And if you believe in reincarnation um, or even, I mean, in a lifetime, it's a lifetime process, right? So I'm, I'm talking about all those things and I continue to know only 10% of who I am. So the, the, the answer for this question is basically I'm not sure, right, how you integrate all that, how you identify all that, because I think that the answer is the process in itself. And it is something that is disclosed to us little by little. So there is no way of knowing it all. I think that the day that we know you all, we're going to be perfect, pure spirits with a full understanding of our essence and of our psychic. In the meantime, the most important thing is to bear the process. As humans, we want answers. We want to finalize the process as quickly as possible. And the, the world that we live in call for this, you know, we're, give me a pill that can solve everything or a button that I can push and you know a, a google search that will bring everything automatically and, and in one second into my little screen here there is no such thing so um we will like you know gradually come to terms with uh with who we are no matter in which uh realm I, are we talking about great i'm gonna read up some of the comments here people saying um Really good stuff here. That was right up my street. Loved it. Excellent presentation. Absolute fascinating. Thank you very much indeed. Excellent talk. Um, very interesting presentation. Thank you, Susanna. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. made, it, made it so clear. Oh, good. <laughs> it did. Uh, I'll second that. I, I am uh, not a... Uh, learned person but i understood where you came from you explained it so well and actually i could really see it as well um how many people we spend our lives trying to we get a 
revelation from some uh, words being said or demonstration and we're trying to achieve and aspire to be that right and actually we need to achieve and aspire to be us Right, right, yeah, absolutely. I, I just got that. I went, I love that. I really yes, do. yes. I'm actually looking forward to taking this uh, talk to a youth group uh, where I will be emphasizing the need to be yourself because yeah. I think that so much suffering, I mean, life is hard as it is, but so much suffering comes from, from guilt, from guilt of our own humanity, you know? in a process that has nothing to do with self-love and self-acceptance. In other words, that goes against all the Christian's teachings. Indeed, you know, we do. We see reflections all through our societies where everybody's trying to aspire to be whichever celebrity, whichever football right. whichever. Right. You know, and it's always trying to impose ourselves on their personality, but that's their life. They're living their life. Yeah. And it's not for us to copy or mimic. You know, because right. we are equally as valuable in whatever we do, say, and whatever. It's it's the summit you can't uh, monetize. You can't put into dollars or pound shillings and pence. Yes. You know, and it's just having yeah. that. Yeah, I'm me. I'm not perfect. Mm -hmm. I'm aware of my mistakes. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. How wonderful is I love that. <clears throat> I'm going to drive people nuts for saying that. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so before I um, ask Lawrence to do the closing prayer, I'm going to read the last comment um, mm -hmm. from Tim. He said, Susanna, I would, would Susanna want to come over to mine for a sleepover? I would chat with her for hours. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I would love to. You know, in fact, I was scheduled to go to London in April and I had to cancel uh, the trip because of COVID. So I'm, I'm hoping that in April of next year, I will make it. Let's see. And then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about a sleepover. <laughs> There you go, Tim. You've been called out now. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Great, Susanna. Thank you very much. Uh, before I ask Lawrence to do the closing prayer, um, our next event um, is on the 10th of July. And our, our uh, speaker is Adam Osborne. And the topic that he's going to bring us for us is the golden rule. So it will be a very interesting talk. So again, Susanna, thank you very much for being here with us. It's been amazing. I'm actually going to watch that again because I need to take some notes what we just said. <laughs> yes, I um, thank you again for having me. Um, I do have some, I think Fabricio shares, I mean, some of our studies are available. Uh, we do have a YouTube channel, uh, Susanna Simões, which is S-I-M-O-E-S 70. Um, and I'm also on Instagram. We, we are sharing some of our studies and, and talks. So if people, um, like, um, these are some, um, resources that I also have available. Wonderful. Great. Wonderful. Thank you. So Lawrence, over to you. Thank you for appreciate And thank you, Susanna. That was yeah. absolutely mesmerizing. Wonderful. And now again, if you link into that God of your own understanding and just give thanks, just for this time, to be ourselves, 
to understand and explore our own sides of our own personalities and to know that we are not perfect but just to accept where we are and how we are and know that ascension in spirit, in mind and in body is always there for us to reach up to, to encompass, to embrace and to make an indelible part of us. And we ask a blessing too this night on all those who work tirelessly to care for the sick, the lame and the poor. May they be given that love, light and energy to help them in their endeavours to alleviate suffering, no matter where it may be. Amen. Thank you. So I would say then good night to everyone that is watching you and thank you for having us. Susanna, thank you so much. Beautiful. You're very welcome. Very welcome. I hope yeah, I'm going to be watching this again on Catch Up and go, ah, yeah, I get that, I get that. I love that. You know what? This is what I love about the teaching side, when you get it, you know? Absolutely brilliant. Fabrizio, thank you so much for bringing all these wonderful people online for us to share with everybody. Thank you all for watching tonight. Uh, everybody on the church page, the Spiritist page, and Kardec Radio over in Washington, thank you so much for joining us. And we wish you all a very pleasant good evening or good afternoon or good morning, wherever yeah. you are. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.